This is a GRDC podcast. Research across southern New South Wales and the southern grain growing region is looking at the viability of delivering a range of organic matters and nutrients to a range of subsoil types how and if it can be done both efficiently and economically, and asking the basic question, which subsoils need intervention? Now, scientists and farmers have long understood that in some subsoils there are factors which are constraining the ability to maximise crop yield. Dr Roger Armstrong is a senior scientist with Agriculture Victoria and he agreed to talk to me about the research that has happened in the past and what's happening now to give farmers a new tool to overcome subsoil constraints. Recognition of the importance of subsoil constraints probably goes back you know, 20 to 30 years now. So not just in Victoria, but through large sections of the Australian Grain Belt, you know, right up from central Queensland, southern New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and even Western Australia. Rainfall is always the number one limitation to grain production anywhere in Australia. But once you start getting a range of subsoil constraints such as sedicity, high boron, salinity, acidity, so forth, effectively what happens, the range of crops are unable to make effective use of that rainfall mm. because any water stored in the subsoil is effectively non-available to the crop. So there's been that long recognition of the important subsoil constraints, the big question is what do you do about it? I imagine there's been a fair bit of research uh, happened over the years uh, once that recognition was there. You could almost argue there's effectively been three major strategies when you've got subsoil constraints. So the first one's ameliate, so anywhere from like deep ripping on sandy soils or adding lime, gypsum, nutrients. The second strategy is genetic solution, so a good example of that, there was a lot of work done in the sort of 80s and 90s on developing boron tolerance in wheat and barley and more recently in lentils and then the third basic approach is to live with the problem and just sort of minimise your variable cost inputs on soils at a constraint so you maximise profitability rather than trying to maximise productivity. Okay, so but your, your approach is to look at the soil and improve the soil so just what have you been doing along those lines? So the whole basis project is, uh, yes, we're, we're focused on humiliation, but looking at particularly using a range of what was originally called subsoil manuring, so from work that sort of pioneered from La Trobe University in Peter Sale, using nutrient-rich organic matter, particularly manures, and then what we're trying to do in this project is sort of extend that work, looking at a range of different organic emollients, and they, they can basically be described as sort of like green chop so farm grown biomass that has low CN ratios such as lucin or vetch or whatever or even some of the work that we're doing in this project looking at what happens if you use wheat straw so you've got a very plentiful supply of organic matter but by itself provides no benefit to crops in fact could even be detrimental if you put it in the soil alone and what we've been doing is what happens when you mix that cereal straw with nutrients does it provide the same effect as what you'd get from a manure source what this project is about is twofold one is to understand how subsoil amelioration of organic matter works is it through better soil structure is it better nutrition is it about overcoming some other kind of toxicity such as high boron 
or is it a combination of all those factors? So that's the primary one, understand the soil plant processes involved. And then the second component is about how do you get this subsoil manuring working at a commercial scale? One of the big limitations, if, if you focus just on animal manures, there is a very limited supply of animal manures to the grains industry, and often there's big geographical inconsistencies between where the manures are and the grain growing areas. The other area around subsoil manuring is the cost. Some of the work that Bill Malcolm and Peter Sale did estimated to ameliorate subsoil with say 20 tonnes a hectare of organic matter you're looking around about $1,400 a hectare upfront costs. The question is then what kind of improvements in crop productivity do you need to make it pay? And the preliminary work from an economic perspective is it does pay for itself after a couple of years, particularly in the high rainfall zone. What GRDC is trying to do for this project is work out, can that work be extended to a range of other areas, so particularly around the medium rainfall zone? Are there other organic emollients that can use a much more plentiful supply? They might necessarily work be quite as 100% as effective as animal manure, but if they're 90% effective, they'll definitely do the trick. I suppose the way I phase it is projects just about working out where subsoil manuring will not work as it is about Mm. where it will work and net benefit is you don't want growers going out and making very huge investments in amelioration if it's not going to pay financially in the time frame yeah okay well let's look at it does it work? Oh, it's undoubted evidence. You know, we already know there's sort of yield improvements. Some Peter Sales work, you know, sort of averaged up to about 80% yield improvements. Even last year, some sites were getting up to 60% yield improvements over the control treatments, and that was in a year characterised by about decile 1 to decile 2 rainfall. So even under the worst situations, you can get highly significant yield improvements. Conversely, some of the medium rainfall sites where it's you know, still decile one and two, there's no benefit. In fact, there's a slight decrease in grain yields. So obviously factors to consider when you're looking at does it work, it's a function of soil type, environment and particularly seasonal conditions. Yeah, where it works, I suppose, would be very much dependent on how it works and uh, understanding the chemistry that's, uh, that's going on. Yeah, and, and that's what that was the primary aim of the project was to understand the processes underpinning yield improvement. So, for example, say hypothetically, the improvement is purely by improved soil structure, then the analogy is you'd target your humiliation to really poorly structured clay soils. Conversely, there's no way you'd be adding subsoil manuring to the Kelke Plains, you know, have really good quality cracking clay soils because there's no need to improve the soil structure on those soils. Do you think you've got a good handle then on, you know, what's happening under the soil there? Uh, it's a work in progress. So one of the challenges of this kind of work is if you add the amelient to the soil, you're not going to get that change in physical chemical structure after six months or 12 months. Okay, so why shouldn't it work in uh, medium and maybe even lower rainfall areas if it works in higher rainfall areas? Oh, I think it's twofold. So it will work in low rainfall areas. So I think some of Lynn McDonald's project, they've shown that if you're adding large amounts of organic matter to very sandy soils, you get a significant benefit in terms of yields. I think that the basic 
premise why if you say will or not work in medium rainfall area the bottom line is if you've got a subsoil constraint is you need subsoil water to have an impact on mm. crop productivity so for the last year when we had decile one rainfall and very low annual rainfall there was literally no subsoil water hopefully this year if we get sort of average or above average growing season rainfall we'll have subsoil water and then we'll be in a much better position to see whether that emollients are producing the yield increases we expect because you need the water to go down there to act on the emollients yeah that's part of the process but again if the emollients working by improving subsoil physiochemical conditions like improving the structure in the subsoil or overcoming some kind of other toxicities in the subsoil such as high boron the roots aren't going to go down there or they don't need to go down there if there's no subsoil water. So subsoil constraints have always effectively affect crop growth by restricting access to subsoil water. What about the economics of fixing these subsoil constraints? I mean, it sounds like it's a massive job. One key component of the project is just focusing on economics. So basically, at the end of the day, from a farmer's perspective, the, the return on that investment, subsoil humiliation, has to be equal more than offset by the return on increased productivity in terms of grain yields and grain quality. So we're quietly confident from the research already done that that does pay for itself in certain areas in the high rainfall zone. It's now about extending that to other areas to see, look at the economics. Part of that economic assessment has to cover a range of seasonal conditions. The other really important issues from a farmer's perspective is around logistics so is there a plentiful emollient source that they can use and secondly how do they get that emollient into the subsoil and that that relates to that question about machinery. Now, I couldn't pass up the opportunity when it was offered to have a look at the machine that has been built especially to trial the delivery of subsoil ameliorants. Okay, so we've come to have a look at the machine that is doing the trials or is putting all these ameliorants in the soil for you. Roger, just explain what we've got here. I know it's difficult for the listener who can't, can't see it, so we, let's try and paint a, a bit of a word picture. So basically the machine we've got is a research-focused machine. It's got the capacity to simultaneously add up to 20 tonnes a hectare of organic matter, lime or gypsum, and fluid fertilisers simultaneously at a, a fixed rate that we can set and also at any depth up to about 35-40 centimetres into the ground. 20 tonnes a hectare of organic matter, that's a fairly substantial amount isn't it? Yeah, th- but th- that's sort of probably the upper limit for the environments we're working in at a commercial level. Okay, and so uh, what have we got with, uh, with the machine? You've got some coulters there and some tines. Just take us through how it all works. So what this machine represents, it's, it's probably state-of-the-art technology in terms of all the previous developments that different organisations have developed. So it was designed by Jack Desbors from the University of South Australia, but we borrowed heavily from the machine that New South Wales DPI have at Wagga. 
and we, we sort of took the best of every machine and put it all together in one machine. So, so what we've got at the front there is three coulters. So if, if we have to operate it into standing stubble, it cuts through the stubble so you don't get any blockages. We've got leading tines to do a pre-break in the, the soil and then we've got the main sort of deep ripping tines with boots at the back where our emollients with the organic matter or gypsum or fertilizer come out the back and we can effectively form a slot going down to the depth of humiliation in the subsoil at whatever rate we've predetermined. You've got hopper bins up there and you've got some room for some liquid fertilizer as well. Yeah so a liquid or fluid fertilizer. The machine's got the capacity so we literally put a, a trial in at Dookie for University of Melbourne. We, we use granular fertilisers on that but we've also in the past used fluid fertilisers and we can just cook up a brew whatever we want in terms of different rates of nitrogen, phosphorus, sulphur etc. What is this down the back here, these, this bit of equipment uh, here? So one of the modifications we've added to the machine is based on the learnings particularly from Wagga this is a clod buster so as part of the deep ripping particularly and this machine is specifically designed for heavy clay soils you you will get even the best design times you'll get some clods coming up the back so the whole idea here is to break up those clods and to facilitate subsequent sowing operations this is only a, a trial machine obviously a, a small a small width commercialized this machine would be absolutely ginormous yeah and, and, and that's one of the things we're looking at the whole idea of sort of research is sort of try it small and if it works go larger but there are a number of more semi-commercial machines that have been made so so this is designed for, for clay soils very much clay soils sandy soils are much easier to sort of ameliorate than clay soils so this is sort of the next step along from if machine works in clay soils you can more or less guarantee it will work in sandy soils well, it's pretty impressive. There's a lot in it. Each time we use it, we think of new ideas, new improvements, new modifications. That's how it goes, isn't it? Well, thanks very much for showing it to me. Senior scientist Roger Armstrong from Agriculture Victoria.